am an intern here at the MISN CAP team, and I'll be your host for today. This podcast is under the Real Women's Forum and aims to serve and discuss themes on trust in relationships, sexual health, hygiene, racial issues, and misogyny, among other things. One of those things is the addition of subjects that pertain to youth. We have created a new section under our podcast named Adolescence with an X, where we will speak on topics that particularly relate to youth. Before I start, a small disclaimer, the Real Women's Forum podcast does not issue any medical advice. Instead, the podcast serves as a safe and brave space for women and other members of the community to discuss, voice common concerns, and share their experiences. We encourage you to visit MISN's website to seek information on specialized programs regarding health insurance, improving birth outcomes, and educating teens on the risks of being sexually active. Today, I'm excited to be here with Dr. Jessica Nidia Pabon Colon. She is an interdisciplinary Latina feminist performance studies scholar. She is the author of Graffiti Girls, Performing Feminism in the Hip Hop Diaspora. And she's my professor. She's an associate professor of women's gender and sexuality studies at SUNY New Paltz. So thank you so much, Dr. P, for agreeing to speak with me today. Thanks for having me, Kate. Um, so I asked you what you wanted to talk about today and we settled on feminism, like how to live a feminist life, how to do meaningful activism, how to live out your feminist principles. So I thought for first I would ask you, what is your working definition of feminism, which feminism is a big giant word that has several definitions and usages. So I wanted to get your take on what feminism really should be when it gets boiled down. Mm. So I always uh, resist this question <laughs> in that I don't have like a singular definition because feminism to me is more about what we do. So it's not like a stable static thing. We can define the same for everyone. It's more uh, a series of actions that sort of lead to what I would envision as a feminist, right? Results or um, effect, having a feminist effect. And so in my book, um, and I came to this sort of, I'm not defining it or stabilizing what feminism is because um, when I was talking, you know, over the like 15 years that I was doing the, the research with the graffiti girls, each one of them had a different interaction with the term feminism, the sort of uh, feminist movement and movements that they had witnessed or participated in or knew about, right, in terms of um, their particular local histories. Um, and there was just like not one way to, to describe it except for through um, the, the effects of the actions that they took. So for example, um, I had graffiti girls, um, in Rio de Janeiro who are participating in like a graffiti and um, consciousness raising like training series um, through this group called Hedinami. Um, and uh, basically to, to learn, they would teach you how to do graffiti, but in order to learn how to spray paint graffiti, you had to like sit through and learn about laws that pertain to women, particularly, for example, violence against, you know, laws that protect women from gendered violence or supposed to protect women from gendered violence. And I would ask them, like these members, I'd be like, so you're a feminist. No, I'm not a feminist. And I'd be like, how can you not be a feminist when you're teaching um, women of all different uh, 
racial um, identifications, all different classes, all different sexual orientations, right, um, about their rights and about bodily autonomy and um, teaching them uh, right, what like pleasure looks like and uh, how to reclaim public space and how the fact that you're building community and you're empowering girls and women and people in general, right, who participate in your programs, all of that is feminist to me, but they don't define it as such. So it seemed to me that there was something happening when we were trying to define feminism that we were focusing on the wrong thing. Um, and so I like to just focus on, um, I guess it's kind of in reverse, uh, right? A feminist action is one that builds solidarity between different people. It's one that works in coalition and builds community, empowers individuals and collectives, um, helps uh, those who are minoritized because of their various identities, right? That and what I mean by that is like they're marginalized, they become tokens, they're erased from history, um, they're you know discriminated against in their everyday life um, to help them reclaim pleasure and joy and laughter. Um, those are the kinds of uh, effects that I see when I when I think about um, you know what counts as feminist and what doesn't count as feminist because you can claim to be a feminist and still be deeply, deeply involved in the oppression of others. And to me, that's not feminist. So, so yeah, so I became more interested in thinking about like what happens when we do the things we do rather than what we call the things that we do. Right. That was yeah. a beautiful answer. <laughs> Thanks. Something that you know, people usually define feminism and they use the term equality of the sexes. But in in what you just said, we've kind of moved beyond that, obviously, with thinking about um, oppression in terms of groups and marginalized groups like coalition building. Mm -hmm. What do you think we can do? How do you think we can grapple with that equality of the sexes term? Like, what do you think the historical importance of that is? And where do you think we have taken it or can take it? Well, I will say like, I feel like the equality of the sexes, I, can we call it a colloquialism? I don't know, the phrase, yeah. <laughs> right? Like the, 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 it's kind of like a throwaway phrase, right? Like everybody thinks they know what we mean when we say equality of the sexes, right? Um, really comes from a time where science itself was sort of less investigated <laughs> than it is now, right? So um, I tell my students this all the time. It's funky because I'm in that like weird in-between generation of the, the feminists who taught me did not get their degrees in feminism, <laughs> right? They didn't get their degrees in women's studies or gender studies. Um, that's only something that became possible in my lifetime. And um, <laughs> and so I think that, um, you know, for me, when I reflect on how we teach about social construction, right? We say gender, man, woman, as the sort of social roles, right? That are manifested um, through our structures, right? We have 
this idea that there are two genders. And when I was taught that this was all socially constructed, we said, yes, but there are like two sexes, right? And this was really at the beginning of when, and I only had access to this information because I was doing my master's degree. And then I went on to do my PhD. So it was very much like firmly rooted in academia and being a scholar of these things that we eventually figured it out and I learned Oh, science is also, right, deeply, deeply socially constructed. And what we imagine as this sort of real division of bodies is actually much, much more complicated. So there are more than two sexes. The, the, the dualistic sex system gets us nowhere. Um, and as feminists, we need to really be paying attention to how maintaining this this binary, right? Where you have male and you have female when it comes to sex and you have man and you have woman when it comes to gender is like, what do we gain um, through that system? And I, you know, spend pretty much every day thinking about how we don't gain anything in that system. What we, what we do is we exclude folks who do not fit into that binary, either because they're trans, they're intersex, or because they simply do not fit that mold easily, right? And so like for me, for example, um, I say that I'm a cisgender woman, mostly because I'm not trans and I would never appropriate a uh, identity marker like gender nonconforming, um, even though that is sort of how I imagine, right? I, 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 don't, I don't feel that there is anything I do that is easily about like conforming or acquiescing to somebody else's idea of who I should be because I'm Puerto Rican, because I'm a woman, because I'm a mother, because I'm married, right? However, I don't, I don't live with the consequences of being outside of that binary, right? Because of my sex or my gender. So that's why I say I'm cisgender, even though, right? Like there are all kinds of ways that I resist and gosh, just explode all the different, you know, expectations on my body because of my gender, because of my nationality um, or, you know, my ethnicity. So, so yeah, so I think, it, it had a place in time to help us like think, right? Like we had to first go, wait, how are we being treated differently <laughs> and, and why, right? And that, and when I say we, it's different for everybody, right? A black woman was treated differently for different reasons than a white woman, right? Or a white man and a black man, right? Like just to sort of simplify, but also give an example. We had to sort of think through what are the structures that elevate some people to the top of our social hierarchy and depress the rest of us to the bottom of it, right? Um, so, you know, in a sense, it does work in that way. Like we should be equal. We should not, you know, be treated differently, have less access to resources, have less freedom because we're like the wrong gender. But in doing that and holding on tightly to a two-part system, we negate all of the variations in between and beyond that two-part system, which is actually more reflective of humanity. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, does that make sense? <laughs> it did, it did. Like, okay, what, I'm, what I'm taking, I mean, what I've, what I've taken away in my, in my whole WGSS career here is that 
sexes are are constructed like gender and sex they don't have real basis but they do have real effects they have real tangible effects like yes they're socially constructed but their effects are very very real and very very harmful and those are the things that we study and we try to undo and mitigate yes yes totally so the way i explain it is that the materiality of being of like inhabiting these socially constructed identities is the part that we need not forget right so like the materiality of being labeled woman as i'm walking down the street by myself at night that that, that there's a material consequence to that that is not explained by well woman is a made up category right like exactly. that's there are those those two things have to and do exist at the same time mm -hmm. moving kind of back to feminism and feminist action and you know who is a feminist mm -hmm. what kinds of things do you think that people can do in their everyday kind of going about to support the feminist movement like what kinds of things can we do to be active feminists and like live feminist lives yeah, this is something that I think about a lot personally, because I, I grapple with, like, I feel like I'm not spending enough time dedicating myself to feminism. And I'm mm -hmm. like, how can I balance my own, my own wants and needs with, with helping the wants and needs of others and like other dispossessed groups, like, especially <laughs> from my own position as someone with privilege, like, how can I balance feminism with my own, my own stuff? Totally. Well, we all have to survive in a capitalist society, right? So <laughs> the way that our the, the way that our society is structured is to make sure we feel like we don't have time to do the things that don't pay the bills, right? right. So before I go on that like everyday acts of feminism, I just want to go back for a second about like because it, it, this is tied to the question about like what counts as a feminist act, right? That's how you started this question, right? Okay, so that made me say like, we have to go back to the sexist for that. <laughs> we have to go back to your last question because I have a perfect example of this. So for the rally for abortion justice, it's like October, right? Yeah, okay. So the organizers, which of course were, was, coming from the women's march but it wasn't only the women's march right it's a huge nationwide coalition kind of thing of like we need to rally for abortion justice because it was right after texas um essentially right criminalized uh, abortion at six weeks i think that that's right and so they put out the organizers of the abortion justice rally put out like a whole it was like four page google doc about language and what I noticed was a nobody read it, <laughs> which is really disheartening, but maybe they just didn't like circulate it enough. I'm not totally sure. Yeah. But the language was like, it was really important because all of not all, but a lot of the the language that they put in the like, don't say this, don't write this on your poster was firmly rooted in this idea, this kind of like old, I don't want to say old school feminist, but sort of right like old school feminist equality of the sexes like language that ended up being really trans exclusive 
right? And so they had a whole brand new, beautiful column of wonderfully inclusive and to the point and unapologetic about abortion language, like say this instead. It's not just women who are affected by laws regarding abortion, right? And so when I was talking about like, what kind, what counts as feminism? I mean, this is both, both of your first questions altogether in this, in this third one, right? To me, if your feminism, if you are only concerned about women having abortions, that is, that is like inherently exclusive to people who need abortions and should have access to them, should not be denied that abortion as a resource uh, in their like re reproductive like capacity, right? So I'm just like, you know, that's exclusive. And is that what we want feminism to be about? No, that's not the point. The point is to be inclusive. The point is that abortion is healthcare and we all deserve equal, safe, affordable, accessible abortion as healthcare, right? And so I, I am seeing like some um, changes, like for I've never seen a language sheet like that. For, for rallies, right? Or anything like, not that they didn't exist. I just haven't seen them, right? Mm -hmm. For something that was happening like nationwide. Um, and it was very clear to me that they were super intentional about their language to make sure that it was inclusive. And then they explained why, which I felt was a really important thing for like bridging generational gaps between look, like, yeah, you've been rallying for abortion since 1973, right? <laughs> Let's just pick the Roe v. Wade year. But the language has shifted. The landscape has shifted, right? The, the battleground has shifted and we need to shift with it and update with it. So what may be counted as super amazing, you know, feminist action 45 years ago today can be really harmful, actually. Mm -hmm. Right. So in terms of our like everyday feminisms and, you know, I have all sorts of things to say about burnout and, you know, um, identifying what about the work is burning you out. But the, the first thing, the first thing is to just like educate yourself as best you can listening to podcasts like this, reading, right. Um, making sure that you're reading maybe not the top selling feminist book, according to the New York Times, right, but rather um, maybe a smaller publishing house that centers, right, feminist of color, maybe read feminism from other countries, maybe read something that doesn't call itself feminist, but is about, I don't know, community building to just sort of, and this is just because I'm you know, I'm a geek, I'm a scholar. So before I do anything, I research it. Like my sister was making fun of me because I wanted to research the new computer that I bought. And I was like, she's like, it's a Mac. They're all just buy one. And I was like, oh, I have to know the information. Exactly. I'm <laughs> the same way. About like literally everything. And so she teases me because I research too much. So maybe this process doesn't work for everybody, but my first step is always to sort of just like get familiar with the territory. Like, what am I, you know, what am I trying to do? What am I trying to address? What am I interested in? 
you know, if I'm, if I'm a, a black woman, if I go read a bunch of stuff written by Gloria Steinem, who's a white feminist, who's really well known, and the New York Times will tell you to go read her stuff, you might not like, you know, that might not be for you, right? It's, it's because, you know, white feminism, go read Hood Feminism, right, by Mickey Kendall, go read the new, like, black feminist scholarship and, and tap into your feminisms, you know? And then <laughs> I, I feel like that, because first you have to be able to see what's wrong to know how to intervene in it, right? Yeah. Like you have to be able to see inequality. You have to like literally be able to feel and then articulate something's not right. This feels unjust. This doesn't feel equitable before you can like know how to, you know, do anything about it. The other thing that I wanted to say is that, you know, living through a pandemic has enabled opportunities that didn't exist before. For example, mutual aid groups, like clicking into your mutual aid groups, seeing what they're up to, how they're supporting the community. And this is an example of feminist action that might not call itself feminist, right? because mutual aid is not specifically about women and people have it in their head that feminism is only for women. And so, you know, when I'm cooking up a bunch of food and dropping it off at the community fridge, does that count as feminist action? Of course it does, of course. Who's responsible predominantly for feeding and clothing and, right, like educating children, just as one example, right? Um, mostly women. <laughs> so if I'm putting food in the fridge, that's gonna help that has the potential to help an, a mother who, you know, is working two jobs and doesn't have time to cook, right? Or a mother who just lost her job because it's a pandemic and doesn't have any food, right? Or somebody who doesn't have kids at all, doesn't identify as a woman and is just hungry because what we want are for hungry people to have food, for houseless people to have shelter, for, right? Like what we want is for people to have like a quality of life that is not about struggle all the time. That's not about being impoverished. That's not about being incarcerated. Um, and so, you know, all of that is, is feminist work. Writing letters to inmates, right? The actually Miss Magazine just took up that. I got, the reason Gloria Steinem came to mind is because she was in my email like four times over the turkey break talking about let's write letters to women in prison. And I'm glad that Gloria Steinem is there that Miss Magazine has figured it out. But I'm like, Black and Pink has been doing this for years. Right. About amplifying their work, yeah. you know, um, I, because I'm nitpicky about these things, but you know, love what you did, but we can do better, right? You have a valid like, point. Yeah. Yeah. Let the road kind of be organic and like, this is the thing that you don't have to, you're not responsible for the whole world, you know, like you can't change the whole world um, in one day by yourself. You just can't, you need a community, you need a coalition. So embedding yourself with people who have similar interests or similar visions for a different kind of world, educating yourself. I feel like the action stuff comes organically your Christmas shopping or, you know, holiday shopping. And you see some guy like smack some woman's butt, you know, maybe before you just keep walking because it's none of your business. And maybe this time you walk up to the, to the girl and you say, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Right. Make an intervention. Maybe you decide to, maybe you have economic privilege, right? There are 
gajillion ways to use your economic privilege that have that are all about redistributing wealth you know uh, give some of that up do you really need to have three houses like truly honestly do you have to have three houses probably not some people don't have money to give they have care to give right so like food right like I don't have a lot of money to give but I'm constantly cooking a lot of food and that's like one of the ways that I do what I do I feel like there was even a book about this a couple of years. I think it was called like Feeding the Movement or something like that. Feeding Social Justice, Feeding the Movement. It's literally about volunteers who like, what we do is feed, right? We're going to have an event. I'll make a lasagna, right? And, and acknowledging that work as important work because we can't do anything if we're not well-slept and well-fed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't have to be, yeah, taking to the streets is amazing. Writing your representatives and calling your representatives, amazing. Becoming politically active, running for some kind of office, amazing. But if those things aren't things that like speak to you or feel possible to you, there are always little, little things that can be done in your everyday life that make things better for everyone around you. Yeah. Taken very broadly, there are a lot of things that count as feminist action. And if you're if you're immersed and your head is in the right place, it'll come organically. That's, That's what I think. Yeah. yeah. While you were talking, I was thinking about um, a class I took with you where we did a project about feminist actions and we had to pick one and write about it. And I was thinking mm -hmm. about um, the one I chose was Brie Newsome ripping down the Confederate flag. Yes which was so badass, but <laughs> we don't all have to scale a flagpole um, right. to, to do something for the movement. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You don't have to scale a flagpole. You don't have to go face to face with police. Hell, you don't have to even go to the march because maybe you can't for some reason. Maybe you're agoraphobic. Maybe you're housebound. Maybe you're bedbound. There are a gajillion other things that you can do though, right? Um, maybe you have a Twitter following of 10,000 people and you tweet about the event, right? You use your social capital, right? In some way. I think all of this stuff really comes down to saying, okay, what do I have that is a privilege compared to others? What do I have that is, it's possible for me to redistribute? Because a lot of the problem under in a capitalist society is that we hoard things, right? Mine, 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 mine. Um, like the toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic or flour, right? Like, did you really need all that toilet paper that you're still working through like a year and a half later? Meanwhile, there were people who didn't have any toilet paper, right? Um, <laughs> If we can just think about redistributing the resources that we do have, and in the in movement work, we call this like working from a place of abundance. We have we have a lot, right? The powers that be want us to think that we don't have anything. They want us to work from a scarcity model, right? Where there's one pie and everybody gets one piece of pie. And we're saying there are so many pies, tons of pies. We all have so many pies. They're just different flavors. So, you know, you might not have a whole apple pie, but you got a cherry pie, how can you share that? And maybe someone will give you some of their apple pie. You know, it's, it's a place of abundance, not a place of scarcity. And that makes us more generous and it makes us more open to like redistributing what we do have to those who don't have it. That's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I really like that. Um, Thanks. Something you brought up that um, is a very large topic and we don't have a lot of time left. So say what you would like, but um, something I was going to ask you about was social media activism, like you said, huh. 
if you yeah. have a lot a large twitter following and you you share something and that mm-hmm. can be helpful but i think a lot of people especially my age do a lot of social media activism and and that's all they kind of do <laughs> right right so how like what are the advantages of drawbacks would you say of, of social media yeah. activism and like because mm-hmm. it it obviously has its its benefits in educating the masses but also if it's all you do there's not much backing it up you know what i mean yeah you know Okay, this is like a whole nother podcast, Kate, because I feel like we could have a very long conversation about this. Yes. It's a long, it's a long debate, actually, right? Like when I started writing my book, we didn't have, we had MySpace, but like nobody used it. <laughs> Were they doing feminism on MySpace back in the day? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like maybe I, w- I don't know, does like, because on MySpace, you put like music everywhere. So like, does having a, a, a MySpace covered in Ani DeFranco count as feminist <laughs> activism? I don't know. If it does, then yes. But um, the, the point, so there are lots of pros and cons, right? For me, my gut says that the pros outweigh the cons in the ways that the internet becomes a mass communication tool we have never had access to before. But then that potential, that possibility come, you know, the the dark side comes in and it starts telling me about like how all these companies are just stealing my data and like, like data mining, right? Like taking all my stuff. And then the other side of me says, well, the government takes all your stuff anyway. So really like, how is that different in the like online world? So you can see, I'm like, I'm a very many minds when it comes to social media and activism. I also feel like there might be a little bit of like, I don't know with the whole, this, this is not my generation's beef. This is your generation's beef. So maybe you understand it more than I do. This whole like social media performativity thing where the word performativity is used to mean doing something, but not doing something like you post, but you're not like protesting or you don't mean it. I think that that's tied in with like virtue signaling, like. (laughs) Yes, yes, no, it totally is. But even if you're virtue signaling, you're still getting a signal out there that somebody else doesn't know if that's real or fake. Maybe only your, your immediate people know I'm just trying to think of like language so Judith Butler our queer feminist touch point um has a a, a, I can't remember if it's a whole book or an essay or what but it's called excitable speech and in there she makes the basic argument and this like changed a lot for me when I learned it which is why I'm bringing it up no matter what we intend with our words they go bananas they're excitable. Speech is excitable. So even if you put out there Black Lives Matter and you have never done a damn thing, <laughs> right, to take to the streets, to send money to activists, to participate in whatever action, because you made that utterance, it landed somewhere. Someone saw it. It did something, right? So I think we're like conflating when, when people say now performativity and like virtue signaling on social media, I feel like we're conflating the intention of the person, right? Like, let's just say I'm doing it because I want to seem cool, but then the effects of it. If you're doing stuff because you think it seems cool, but you have 50,000 followers, if you think it's cool, maybe they think it's cool. And then maybe out of those 10,000 people, you get 500 who become very serious BLM activists. 
I feel like all speech does something. And mm-hmm. so it, it's hard for me to, when I think about the negatives of social media, I just think about things like being targeted for harassment, cyber stalking, being doxxed, data mining, right? Data collecting. Those are the kinds of negative things that I think of because I, I don't know, maybe, and it, again, maybe it's a generational thing. I like literally witness social media become what it is. So to me, it's still magic. Um, and, and I use it, I use it. I've built connections that I could never have built, right? And, and de-isolated, is that a word? Like unisolated myself, right? Um, in particular struggles because I found like minds online. So yeah, there's no, I don't think there's an easy answer to that one. Um, but I will say this, if you know, to your listeners, if you have social media, maybe consider why you're not doing something with your social media, aside from grabbing that like really important selfie, right? I think it has more, we can do more with it than we are doing. And I'm, I'm not worried about, I'm really not worried about the people who, you know, are just like like, virtue signaling, right? I'm not worried about them because Mm -hmm. at least they're not the opposition, right there <laughs> at least they're like pretending to be on our side okay mm-hmm. you know there are many um, ways to win a movement and <laughs> like you said the pros outweigh the cons with social media activism and even if someone is you know posting someone posting something just to post it um they're posting something and they're getting the word out and like you said they might inspire some of their followers to become diehard activists so yeah. And even if it causes controversy, then that's discussion that it's created, right? If somebody's like, you literally were there for three seconds and there's nothing sincere about your attachment to like abortion justice, that in itself creates a conversation that could be really productive. Mm-hmm. One more um, quick, quick last question. So I am about to graduate with a degree in women's studies. Do you have any advice for me as a scholar of women's studies about to graduate and take my feminism into the world? Do you have any, oh <laughs> any my God. words of wisdom? Just keep doing what feels right to you. Just in general, like general life advice. You're not going to be able to save the world all by yourself. It's going to be depending on which line of work you choose and you go into, right? There will be lots of different challenges. I'm excited to see what your generation does though. Like, I feel like my generation did a pretty okay job, but you guys are like rocking and rolling as particularly in relationship to the environment. So you're like, your feminist movement might look different than ours did. Great, bring it on, right? Like I I literally say, all the time and right like I am my job is to like prepare the next generation of feminist leaders you I cannot even believe that you're graduating we've talked about this already you feel prepared to me um even though I'm like what we didn't get to hang out in person maybe ever um (laughs) right? right uh so so I think you know no one is perfect no feminist organization is going to be perfect but that's what we do. We, we, we're constantly striving to like do something better and yeah, I'm going to miss you. Oh, I miss you too. Thank you so much. <laughs>
thank you again for for taking the time to talk with me today um is there anything that you want to close on in particular anything you want to plug i mean you know we're we're in this moment i want to i want to plug just the theme right that you don't have to identify as a feminist if the things that you you know it's more important to think about your effect on the world like your effect on your little intimate world your right your community your friend group that world yeah i don't know feminism is for everybody that's bell hooks so we'll leave with that thanks so much kate thank you <laughs> if anyone listening is interested in being interviewed or know someone that might be interested in being interviewed for our podcast please reach out to us via text or call at 845-248-3942 thank you for listening bye-bye <laughs>